Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 39 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us tonight, he is, amongst other things, uh, the founder and programmer of Slaughter Movie House and also a filmmaker, director of films such as 42 Counts, The Stylist and Call Girl. We are joined tonight by Jill Gavargazian. Jill, hello. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. No, thanks for taking the time to do this, Jill. You have come in with one hell of a selection. I'm pretty excited. I switched it even on the last minute on you guys. It dawned on me yesterday, and am I supposed to say it now? By all means, by all means, yeah. (laughs) Um, Anaconda from 1997. Yeah, Yeah, because... I think it's worth mentioning that the other film that you were were going to do was Wrong Turn. Yes. Um, So, for me, a welcome 11th hour change. Yes. Um, I just thought this one is clearly way funnier and it felt right to talk about because while it's ridiculous, I actually love it. Yeah, I, th- I think and that's that's like exactly the kind of selections we're after. I think it's probably a better pick than Wrong Turn 2. But uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory with the film, when you first saw it, all that kind of thing. Well, 97, I was like 13. So I'm actually, I was trying to figure out if this would have been like maybe my first PG-13 film, you know, seeing for real by myself without mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I know I saw it right when it came out, probably opening night. This was like kind of the, you know, start of my obsession with horror. Like, you know, this is like right after Scream came out. Um, Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing it the first time and I loved it so much that I saw it again in the theater. So I saw it twice within probably a couple weeks. <laughs> um, and this is funny. I never owned it until maybe like three or four years ago. I was driving to a, a horror convention like a, that's like four or five hours away from where I live. Uh, Halloween Palooza, shout out. But um, <laughs> on my way there, I stopped at this like this tiny where I, I love to look at like the weird trinkets they'll sell and like sometimes they have movies right. <laughs> and this time they had fucking anaconda on dvd and i'm like oh man i love this movie i don't even have it yet and i don't i didn't buy it but two like three days later on the drive home i stopped at the same gas station and bought it <laughs> and that's still the copy i have like absolutely no features it's just like you turn it on and it says play movie (laughs) um but it's incredible and i'm so happy i own it now i wonder if it's on blu-ray i'm not sure (laughs) i really like the fact that the remorse hung around in your head for the like intervening three days to the point you're like you had to stop on the way back Oh, it was like a, an adventure. I was like, I hope this is the right one. Is this the one we stopped at? <laughs> um, it just felt right. Like, Anaconda was waiting there for me. I can't believe I never bought it until now or then. But, yeah, I, I rewatched it this morning myself. Oh, cool. For, th- for the one millionth time, probably. <laughs> um, 
then you might be in a good position to do uh, the next thing that we're going to try. Jill, I don't know if you've listened before, but um, what we do at this point um, with every guest that we have is that Andy puts 30 seconds on the clock. I count you in. And what we need is your best 30-second <laughs> synopsis of Anaconda. Oh, man. Jill, these can go okay. anywhere from um, extremely well to extremely poorly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just a, f- a free piece of advice where most people go wrong is scene setting. They spend too much time on scene setting. Okay. Right. Okay, you good to go? I think so. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> okay, it's about a group of filmmakers that are set out into the Amazon to make a, fee- a, a documentary about the Shiri Shama tribe. And they have a female director, which hell yeah, JLo is the director. <laughs> and um, they get caught in a storm, run into John Voight, who is the fucking incredibly insane in this movie. Um, he has this accent that I swear just changes throughout the film. Time. And he, he, oh, he, he takes them on crazy <laughs> that ends them in this fucking blockade they blow it up snakes are everywhere he says something insane like babies all of them babies <laughs> <laughs> i love that and you don't subscribe i love that you don't subscribe to time to the- up i have no idea what time is going right now yeah we, time is up we- time's been up for about, oh, okay, about 20 seconds uh but that's okay i was enjoying <laughs> i was enjoying it <laughs> I thought you were warning me when you said time. Okay, no, that was so time up, Jill. That was time up. Yeah, 30 seconds disappears pretty quick. <laughs> I have a three-hour-long synopsis prepared for you guys. <laughs> More than double the length of the film. <laughs> we, can, oh we can do this and then release your three-hour synopsis as an episode on its own. <laughs> yes. Whoa. I can act out the entire movie, and my dog will play the anaconda. Excellent, excellent. Strong uh, casting choice. Actually, a strong casting choice in general for the Anaconda because it's the voice of Frank Welker, who is just probably one of the best voice guys that's ever existed. He did the voice of Megatron and Soundwave, and he did the voice of Nibbler and Futurama and Abu and and Aladdin. He's done everything. I was going to bring this up because... I don't know when the hell the Anaconda makes any sounds that sound human or... I mean, did he just make, like, hissing sounds? I think it was probably a mixture of hissing, but there is a moment, um, I think, (laughs) the first time you kind of see the anaconda on uh, the boat attack, it does a kind (laughs) of... Um, Which, I don't know if there's any herpet... Oh my god, you are right. Yeah, there might be some herpetologists out there who can stand up and say, guys, much as the shark cannot roar in Jaws of Revenge... Mm. Um, the snake would not scream like a man. <laughs> <laughs> that scream is amazing, though. And w- yeah, when I saw this credit on IMDb, I'm like, wait, somebody plays the snake? <laughs> it was my reaction. Because <laughs> like, when, you, when you told me that, when we were sitting down to watch it, I was like, what language does it speak? Parcel <laughs> tongue. Oh, it's its own language. <laughs> um, but wait, speaking of the snake, though, when it is an animatronic, it looks fucking cool. So that does look cool, especially that scream moment you're talking about specifically. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the I like the um the opening crawl on this quite a lot. You're um, a big fan of an opening crawl. I do like an opening crawl, um, but I like the fact that it basically it reads like the top three most terrifying stats about Anaconda. <laughs> oh, totally. I have them noted here. <laughs> oh, oh, please do. Or wait, 
Only the second. The first. No, wait. The first one I have is that the tribes people were said to worship um, these things, apparently. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part, which plays in later to the film, is that they supposedly regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The, uh, the, the one in the middle was just that it can reach a maximum length of 40 feet. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty long. Which is pretty long, but yeah, I think that they probably did it in the right order, finishing on the regurgitating for multiple meals thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a um, a clue for everyone yeah. for the film. Yeah, a little bit foreshadowing. <laughs> so hang on, um, so we open on an almost unrecognizable Danny Trejo. What, you mean because he's shaved, he doesn't have a moustache? That's precisely what I mean, because he doesn't have a moustache, I almost didn't clock it was him. And we're seeing him, like, I realized kind of for the first time, being a victim in a, in a scene. Like, yeah. he's always the bad, even though I think he's connected to the bad guys, He right? is, yeah, yeah. Uh, we not- still only see him, like, scared and running from a snake, and <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, Mitch, that uh, Danny Trejo here is in a state of some distress. I would, I would venture that he's in a state of some distress. <laughs> in, in, in some distress, yeah. for sure. As are some uh, assorted birds and monkeys. Um, but he's in this weird shack, and it's uh, struck by what at this point uh, is an unknown force. Uh, <laughs> it's, which- it's only an unknown force if you don't know the title of the film. Oh, no. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> it's an anaconda. <laughs> but rather than be consumed by the beast... Uh, he takes it upon himself to scale a pole and shoot himself? Yeah. He took it to the furthest point. <laughs> I think that's how we knew. he. We saw the like the little news clipping to see he was connected to the bad guys, but I think that was to say, like, that's how bad it is to be killed by an anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> you would rather kill yourself. Well, I thought it was interesting was that he felt the need to take himself to the highest point in the building first. He did kind of like two-thirds of an escape attempt and then shot himself. We had to at least try to live yeah. <laughs> for a minute longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we get some some pretty rapid-fire uh, cast introductions. Yeah, and, and if you're wondering if Danny Trejo is actually dead or if we see his corpse later, no, we won't. He's gone as soon as he arrives. Yep. That's it's, 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 oh, like two pretty rapid-fire, very short Danny Trejo appearances in films in the podcast in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because we had Sushi Girl um, a couple of weeks back with uh, Jay, JK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, I would say that it's potentially even shorter here than he is in Zichigo. <laughs> this is how he has, like, how many cr- credits to date? A million? <laughs> <laughs> he's the hardest he's in work- one scene of every movie that's ever existed. He's the yeah. hardest working actor for two minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we, we get kind of like, as you said earlier, Joe, we get the kind of baseline knowledge of who our characters are and what they're doing. So we've got Jennifer Lopez, here is Terry Flores. Yeah, Jennifer the Bok. Yeah, heading up this entire enterprise, director for National Geographic. <laughs> Ice Cube is introduced saying a line from his music, today is a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I totally didn't clock that. Is my great. favorite thing. And he's like our camera operator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I was particularly sad that this film didn't end the way Deep Blue Sea does. Like, when you, that kind of ends with LL Cool G's rap song I was kind of sad that this didn't play out with an Ice Cube track you're right it really should have he's like the hero of this fucking movie he absolutely is yeah he's one of them for sure <laughs> uh, but yeah also in there we've got Eric Stoltz as Dr. Stephen Kane Kale Kale sorry Stephen Kale I apologise no it's fine <laughs> um, so he's named after a superfood rather than a wrestler <laughs> <laughs> 
quite the distinction yeah yeah, yeah sure um, and yeah so they're heading up this kind of uh, this venture to find a lost tribe in the Amazon but aided also by uh, Vincent Castellanos as the immediately villainous Mateos yeah Mateo is uh, yeah they make no bones about that that he has uh, something going on Mateo's great does he ever utter a line in this movie though uh, at one point he says <laughs> it's such a good thing he's got virtually no dialogue but he's clearly the one thing he does say he's clearly Hispanic and he says merde which is French for shit that's correct so uh, yeah interesting <laughs> I mean like he, like, he, like he might be trilingual <laughs> important to note that J-Lo and Eric Mr. Stoltz have a thing oh, oh yeah, yeah clearly yeah, yeah, yeah they, they do that's established in record time yeah and, not, and uh, in, a, in a way that, uh, yeah, he uh, uses that old never-fail technique of uh, using fireflies to ensnare your prey. <laughs> yeah, he wins it over with amorous firefly chat, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. What for me? Um, I, I, Owen Wilson is obviously in here as well as um, <laughs> Gary Dixon. And this occurred to me as we were watching it. I'd like to posit something about Owen Wilson, which is that I think that he is possibly the actor that I've seen in anything who plays effectively the same character in literally everything he's in. Uh, yeah. Identical mannerisms. I always think it's like Hugh Grant and Jason Statham are the ones that spring to mind with that. Whereas I, I, lo- I love, though, when he, like, flips and sides with Voight halfway oh, yeah. through the film. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. <laughs> Him, like, trying to be, like, badass for a minute is pretty great. Yeah. Oh, man, we'll get there. But the, a lot of the dialogue in that scene is crazy. I love it. I love it. Um, and uh, Denise as well, of course, surrounding out the crew. You've missed uh, Jonathan Hyde there as uh, Warren Westridge, the oh. the host of the documentary. How silly of me. Yes. Uh, who is uh, pretty much gold throughout. <laughs> yeah, he's like the diva actor type that can't handle any of the situations. <laughs> he's my favourite character in the whole film. <laughs> You're quite right there, Jill. They kind of plant him in and he just spends the entire film not being cut out for these conditions. <laughs> 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 he's constantly dabbing his brow and, and just kind of complaining about the, the humidity yeah just constantly either looking really demoralised or really flustered <laughs> but uh, very quickly after this we get the possibly the most important character introduction of all yeah yeah the boat uh, the Michaela I believe it's called sets off down the river like we say on the, on its mission to find the Shimishara tribe and uh, rather than find the Shimishara tribe in the middle of a downpour <laughs> They come across uh, John Voight's character, Paul Cerrone. You would just drive by and leave him. He is clearly villainous from the, the minute he appears on screen. <laughs> Seriously. He's like never trying to hide that he's insane. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, I could talk about John Voight's performance in this film. Form. I seriously started just a list of like his best lines because it's the best part of the movie. <laughs> well, as we get to them, you can drop them off, uh, was... and what I'll do is I'll put the actual clips in. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, pl- please dip into that list. <laughs> so from the get go, it's clear that he's in cahoots with Matteo because they keep smirking at each other. Um, <laughs> yes, and uh, pretty much the rest of John Voight's performance exists in sneers and leers. <laughs> sneers and leers <laughs> I love the, how he pronounces Wilson's name which is Gary <laughs> what do you think Gary <laughs> <laughs> and he calls the, the girl uh, played by Carrie uh, I don't know this actress well she's like the one actress I don't know in this film like a Carrie um, he calls her 
baby bird through the whole film, which I fucking <laughs> love too. It's, it's, I don't remember thinking that. It's so fucking arbitrary. <laughs> I think probably the most famous moment of uh, John Voight in this film is when uh, J-Lo's kind of sweaty and tying her hair back and she glances over at him and his face is hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely stone cold hilarious. It is the single most evil, creepy, it, it, it might be the single best villainous performance without uttering a word or moving that I've ever seen. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> He's incredible. I'll wait till these lines come up, but he just delivers like these like fucked up lines in the most like casual and careless ways. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and as we said, he's affecting an accent which I think might be Cajun, but <laughs> yes. we also learn that he's a former priest. <laughs> like, Tom- that, that accent changes with the fucking weather. Don't throw Cajun on that. Like. <laughs> He's, a, he's a, a failed priest. A failed, uh, what's his name? Asks. Yeah, <laughs> right. No. He's a, so essentially, he's a priest turned poacher. You know, the natural career progression. Uh, uh, straight after this, you get this kind of the obligatory kind of like cutting loose sequence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is Worth. where this is the point where I, I start to make parallels to Lake Placid, which is a very similar film. And then down the road, they did a crossover film. But uh, yeah, this is a point where I, I started thinking, this reminds me very much of Lake Placid and a lot of the story beats tonally. And I'm okay with that because I fucking love Lake Placid. I don't know if I've seen Lake Placid wow. in a very long time. I need to rewatch it. After Anaconda, you absolutely must. And then watch the crossover film. I can't believe they did a crossover film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, well, they're kind of like partying away. You get your first, you get your first glimpse of Snake here. Is that, what you're, is that what we're going to call him? At uh, she? Uh, oh yeah, I'm open to suggestions for the name. <laughs> the name of the snake? Yeah. Man, I wish they named it. <laughs> well, yeah. I've got it written in my script as old Slippy. Old Slippy. Yeah. In, in my script, sorry, in my notes is old Slippy. Yeah. <laughs> in your script. In my script. <laughs> yeah. it's in, in, I've, 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 I was gonna say in your spec script for a reboot. <laughs> We don't we first see it killing like a huge black jungle cat of some kind. I don't know if it's a black panther or what it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have panther written down, but yeah, I have panther written um, down. Oh well, it's unanimous. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's that the, the entire way that's put together and shot is crazy. Yeah, I think it. I think it looks really good. So strong. It- <laughs> So strong it manages to pop out a panther's eye. Is that what happens? Yeah, it squeezes the panther so hard its eye pings out. (laughs) The cinematography around that moment is very interesting, is what I will say. (laughs) It's It's like these, like, fast spinning... I don't know what's happening. Yeah, it's... uh, it's, I kind of remember it. It's, like, feverish. I think it's to be sure that, um, at this point, that we don't see too much snake. Because this isn't a film that plays its cards close to its chest when it comes to its kind of key creature. Because once you see the snake, you see it all the fucking time. I love the snake, Andy, so there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. no! But I think this was the film's last attempt to kind of to try and keep a kind of a mystique around the snake, if you like, before you see it constantly. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when that was in the film. Because yeah, at one point you do just see the snake non-fucking-stop. I'd say from the boat attack scene, um, where the snake attacks the boat, it's pretty much every two to three minutes the snake's on screen. Yeah, I would say that sounds about right. <laughs> um, see, straight after this, you get the scene with Denise and Gary when they kind of head out 
uh, to kind of do a little bit kind of exploring slash make out and then get chased away by what is, I mean, becoming a progressively <laughs> less unknown entity. Um, I thought that that had like that had a proper feel of kind of like, you know, like um, kind of like idiot teenagers in slasher movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. People always pick the most inopportune times and places to explore each other's bodies. For, for me, the jungle in this kind of scenario wouldn't be my ideal place. Also, the women in, the, <laughs> the women in this film, they're not dressed for the jungle. There's far too much flesh on show. They would be eaten to death by mosquitoes. Just that may be true, but everyone <laughs> needs to be sexy and sweaty the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's that's, important. They are. Yeah, everyone is extremely sweaty in that, and like you say, in that weird, sexy way, where yeah. it's like it's just kind of on the tips of their hair and like. Uh, just at the front, down the front of their cleavage, and the same. I would say the same for Ice Cube. Uh, I think for for a, <laughs> for a group of people who have been going through the Amazon in a boat for an unspecified amount of time, they are unbelievably photogenic when we meet them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of humidity in any way, shape, or form. I don't like the hot. I don't like the cold. I like it just. It's a very slim kind of line of temperature for me. I would be the first. Mi- to, the first to go. I would be so so miserable on this trip. That's why you um like the host so much. Or you, re- I think you relate to him. I the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's my spirit animal. <laughs> um, I th- we kind of uh, I, like you say. I mean, like Paul John, John Voight's character yeah. is like unambiguously villainous for almost the entirety of this film, but he does kind of save the day here. By dispatching the boar oh, yeah. that, uh, that chased the boat that was uh, that was kind of coming after Denise and Gary, which uh, which was kind of interesting. But it's immediately followed up by more shots of him being like incredibly uh, leery. I think, in fact, this might be the one you were talking about. <laughs> it isn't. It is actually the moment I was talking about where it's uh, just the prolonged epic leer. <laughs> Um, that kind of signifies the big ch- tipping point in the film as well. Um, it is it's so long, though. It's the Lawrence of Arabia of cinematic leers. <laughs> oh my god! So uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's. I get the feeling like he just did whatever the fuck he wanted, and they let him because he's John Voight. And I think that's kind of admirable when a admirable sorry when a big big actor with a big name like that comes on to a project and just pretty much says. Not doing that, not doing that. We'll do it my way. And he, he's obviously given a, a lot of rope. They were right to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and the film's all the better for it. So, yeah, they were, they were right to trust him with that. In fact, for all these years, I've never known his character's name until today. I'm like, okay, he does say at the beginning, but he's just void to me, and this is who he is, apparently. Um, See when he comes storming onto the boat and kind of uh, sells crazy really hard the entire time. If you'd given me a hundred guesses on what that character's name was, I would never have landed on Paul. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. No, I don't think so. Voight sounds like a more villainous name. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> Stephen uh, runs into some trouble here. <laughs> um, so he he uh, he dives underwater when he comes back out. Yeah, the boat um, runs aground. It yeah. gets uh, tangled up in some weeds and uh, I don't know ropes or something. And uh, Steve and Eric Stoltz dives in to, to cut it free and uh, suddenly starts kind of grabbing at his throat and thrashing in the water and they, they leap in to save him and uh, he's not breathing and right away, Paul's right there, Voight, let's call him Voight, is uh, right there and about it, knows exactly what to do to save the day. Immediately, for my money, catapulting himself to the top of the kind of suspect list. <laughs> 
they do that. They did that effect. Like you can, it looks pretty decent, but you can see some shit on the side of the neck. And I'm like, come. This movie yeah. has forty eight million dollars. What the fuck? Is that the budget? Um, or forty five million? Fuck. IMDb tells me. Yikes. Which we know it, with how much money just the snake costs. <laughs> um, I think it looks like that much money. Like, I mean, they really shot this in like Brazil on a river in the middle of nowhere. But uh, it seems that he has set he set that up so that the one guy that knew what the hell was going on would be incapacitated for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, quite an elaborate means of. Uh potential dispatch because uh, rather than just kill the guy he spends a lot of the rest of the film trying to kill people now would have been an ideal chance to do that but instead he puts a deadly poisonous wasp <laughs> into Stephen's regulator and reading out the words deadly poisonous wasp it really pushes home how, how elaborate a means of death that is um, I think that um, the, the, the fact that he does the tracheotomy is suspicious enough the fact that he's confident enough that that's the problem and does it instantly is one thing I think the fact that he does it while almost barely, like almost not breaking eye contact at all with Matteo <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of... I was like, I'm, well, I've got my eye on you too. <laughs> but no one else does. Like, no one else really suspects anything until he actually goes full out crazy. That's like that's like something that happens quite a bit in there, though. Do you not think? It's like, um, there's quite a, there's a couple of times where uh, J-Lo's character, Terry, she's kind of saying, I'm not sure about that guy. He's pathologically doing incredibly weird things all the time, and no one takes her seriously. <laughs> I don't know why, no. This guy was freaky from the start. <laughs> yeah, she, she saw right through the ruse and none of the rest of them did. And um, did she never tell anyone how he was staring at her for 20 minutes while she's putting her hair up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like one detail I think she left out, actually. I'm sorry, he wasn't doing it like sneakily. Like, if anyone had even glanced in his direction in the five minutes that he sneered at her, then like, they'd be like, fuck, that guy is a bit, like, that's a bit much. What's coming up next is when we really see him like shit hit the fan. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, is it? Don't we next run into the blockade? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul uh, Paul offers up some advice that uh, the best way to get Stephen to the hospital would be to follow his original route down the river, which again seems very convenient. <laughs> and oh yeah. yes, it's a shortcut. <laughs> yeah. A shortcut through an impenetrable jungle forest, uh, <laughs> which is blocked off because it contains enormous snakes. We don't know that yet, okay? No, that's true, that's true. I go so, back uh, to... There can't be anything wrong with blowing up this... No, to be fair, plenty of them are like, this is is not supposed... We should not blow up this blockade. Yeah, this is actually one of the moments in the film where the crew do actually have, like, a sensible amount of reservations about what they're about to try. <laughs> and wait, why do they have this much dynamite, is my question. That's a fucking great question. <laughs> he must have it with him. Yeah. Because this is before... I figure you might have some for, like, a survival situation. It just seems like a lot... Like, you, you would have enough to plan to blow up a... Like a dam in the middle of the river. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's a huge explosion. <laughs> yes. Big enough to, like, they lose molt, like almost all of their fuel cans. Yep, yep. And their entire boat is now covered in about 5,000 snakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, like, the, like just the shock of the blast rolls all the petrol tanks off the deck of the ship and it is literally raining snakes. <laughs> 
And that's when he was like, they're all freaking out. Like, everyone's in panic mode. And Voight is, like, super calm. And he's like, babies, all of them. Babies. Yeah. He's just, like, starts just nonchalantly tossing them over the side of the boat. Yeah. And he's like, go back to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> go back to your mother. It's my favorite part. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, that was one of my favorite moments as well. Do you think he plays this with a kind of um, a kind of godfatherly uh, Marlon Brando, a Marlon Brando esque uh, quality to his performance? <laughs> he kind of does, like his just how calm he is when he's still saying this shit. Like even when that little baby, sna- I think, uh, with the little baby snake puppets biting on uh, Westridge's finger, <laughs> yeah, and he just comes over and kind of plucks it off. Ugh, I think that's what he's giving babies, all of them babies. Ugh. Yeah, that's a great scene. There's like a slight, there's like a slightly gurn, like there's like gurniness to a lot of his line delivery that made me think of Marlon Brando as well, Partic- <laughs> particularly like Don Corleone Brando. Yeah. Warren, at this point, kind of gets on board with the idea. I was going to say that Voight isn't all that he appears to be, but he is all that he appears to be because he's obviously villainous from the beginning. But Warren starts throwing accusations around. He uh, says that Paul knew the dangers in advance and was kind of like pulling them into this chaos intentionally. And literally no one else on the boat takes that seriously in that moment. <laughs> despite, it's, despite the fact that I think it's a pretty credible theory. <laughs> It's a pretty incredible. <laughs> I think what we've uh, moved on pretty quickly from is when the the boat uh, the the shockwave from the uh, the detonation of the barrier takes place. It blows Mateo into the water. Oh yes. Well, fuck yeah. Yeah, and that's when we get. Wait, a- this is important. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty um, important. When he's gone, though, there he's like missing, and. Uh, Everyone else is talking about how they should go look for him. I think J-Lo asks Voight to go. And he says, like, again, very calm and casually, maybe another time. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's like, you could give a fuck about Mateo. Yeah, like, like, there's really no time maybe, like the present. <laughs> like, maybe another time. Yeah, like, it's just like, <laughs> like, when will that be? Yeah, if not now, when... Um, but yeah, Mateo was uh, offed uh, in our first massive shot of a CG snake, round about three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars gone on snake here. And uh, yeah, I love Mateo's death. I love just about every snake-related death in this film. Oh wait, 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 wait! I think before he dies, though, they're all like, I think isn't Voight is it here? He's telling them about how anacondas kill people, and every huh? no one's believing him at first. Yeah, when he goes, but here, uh, here is the best fucking line. Okay, he says. They strike, wrap around you, hold you tighter than your true love, and you get the privilege of hearing your bones break before the power of the embrace causes your veins to explode. They strike, wrap around you, hold you tighter than your true love, and you get the privilege of hearing your bones break before the power of the embrace causes your veins to explode. (laughs) I'd have been like... Well, that sounds fucking terrifying. Let's get this boat. Let's get this boat moving. See the, the the fact that literally anyone was still like, "I want to do what this guy says." After that, <laughs> I'd have been like, "He's absolutely right." Let's come back for material one other time. I really- this is the same time when he's t- tries to con- he suggests that they should catch the snake <laughs> versus yeah. go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Ice Cube says, how did we go from taking Kel to the hospital to catching a goddamn snake? (laughs) Ice Cube being the avatar for the audience at that point. (laughs) 
but he is the whole way through the avatar for the audience because he's the everyman he's the one we can all relate to yeah shit just like flips in this scene because then is also when he like Voight shoots the gun and like straight up establishes control and he's like occupy yourselves people play some cards (laughs) oh my god I'm so happy you wrote so many lines down (laughs) him and Mateo are like now like toting guns and everyone's like what the fuck is going on (laughs) (laughs) oh man Uh, yeah I mean (laughs) At this point, the kind of mutiny has grown, <laughs> and we have our two kind of warring factions. You've got uh, Ice Cube on one side, along with <laughs> the sleeping Eric Stoltz, who actually has it pretty easy throughout this whole film. He sleeps through the majority of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and J-Lo. And then on the other side of that, you've got Paul Cerrone and Owen Wilson and... Westridge. Uh, Westridge, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I... Love the fact that when Owen Wilson's kind of leading the mutiny, uh, he describes uh, that listening, the, the idea of listening unquestioningly to what Voight has to say as common fucking sense. And that's, <laughs> that's, by what metric is that common sense, please? Oh my god. That was amazing. But yeah, Owen Wilson and uh, Westridge, they uh, they form the breakaway faction. And at this point, we have another, frankly, amazing standoff with a snake. The boat attack is an amazingly well-made scene. What part? What ha- who, who dies here? <laughs> I'm trying to remember this part. Uh, we, we lose. Ultimately, we lose Gary here, Owen Wilson. Oh, yes. Gary's kill is epic. My favourite moment during the entire snake attacking on the boat when it's smashing through windows and trying to get J-Lo, my favourite moment is when it spits a monkey at a man. <laughs> That is incredible. It spits a monkey into Westridge's face and it makes me laugh so hard. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, go. Somewhere on IMDb it said that they actually lost control of the animatronic snake at one point <laughs> and that they used that footage. <laughs> like, I'm sure they did. I feel like it might be somewhere in this part. <laughs> yeah, there is a few moments where the snake just seems to be flailing around wildly. And after... I think this is after this epic scene, but they show this snake underwater, and this is, like, oh, epically yeah. CGI, but, like, you see the outline of Owen Wilson's body inside the snake. That's um, that's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. It's I love that, like, ridiculous. You can see his face in so much detail that you would know it was Owen Wilson, even if you'd never seen <laughs> if you'd never seen Owen Wilson in the film up to this point. He's got his fucked up nose in it. <laughs> I love right after this uh, that Paul Cerrone de- delivers a... Uh, he kind of goes back to being a priest and he delivers a, a kind of ashes to ashes type prayer to the recently departed Gary. <laughs> yes. And they're just screaming out, you fucking, it's not your fucking fault! And he's like, hey, there's a devil inside everybody. And you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Check, have that on my list as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's a really, um, a really good scene here, which is where uh, they try and kind of subdue John Voight. Yeah. Yes. When JLo seduces him. Yeah, the old honey trap to ensnare the old poacher. He says, um, been a long time since I had a woman. <laughs> I, I, I was like, had a woman. I was like, oh, gross. And we're like, um, had one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the, 
even in his darkest moments, it must be quite clear to John Voight's character that this is a setup. Yeah, I mean, he well, he's sharp and he's quick and he's quick on the draw when uh, when Ice Cube comes in. Like uh-huh. he reacts like really quickly to that. So he's kind of he's suspicious from the beginning. But what he doesn't expect is to be knocked out from behind by a golf club wielding Westridge, which uh, was one of my favorite surprises in the film. Uh, he has the best line here when he goes hits him with the golf club and goes asshole in one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Um, yeah, I almost forgot that he's also there because yeah, Boyd sees Ice Cube through the mirror, and I'm like, shit! And then yeah, third dude comes in to save the day. <laughs> so really, at which point then does Westridge decide that he's going to rejoin the the kind of main group? <laughs> he's a desperate character that will do whatever <laughs> he has to do. I think that that's true because I think that when you see him as part of the kind of three man faction. Uh, it's very clear that he's way more kind of doing it because he's kind of being intimidated. Because Owen Wilson kind of looks like he really kind of believes in it, but Westridge just looks like he's shitting himself the entire time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump to Westridge's defense here again. So would I be. <laughs> like, oh I would be fucking... I'd just be screaming constantly in one prolonged scream. Um, <laughs> after the subdued Paul here, uh, you get one of the most insane moments in the film, I think, when he kills Denise. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh yeah. Wait, before he kills her, he says she's like approaching him to stab her, stab him, or maybe attempt to. He's like, never look into the eyes of those you kill, they will haunt you forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, I know from experience. And just, <laughs> just before he kills her, Westridge and Ice Cube are there having this uh, kind of little exchange about the comforts of home what they're going to do when they get back to civilization and like a, <laughs> and Q- Ice Cubes is very like I said very everyman stuff I'm going to check out the ball game and Westridge is essentially and I like the highlights <laughs> you're just like I like guy things <laughs> and I like expensive stuff you're just like I like it's kind of like, oh, it's nice that they're relating. <laughs> but it's a bonding session for them. I suppose all of this is, in a way. Well, you should go back to how the hell does Void's character, like, fly into the... You know, he's tied... His arms are tied behind a pole on the boat. And he somehow, like, lifts himself into the air so that he can strangle that chick with his legs. <laughs> and, like, and falls to the ground, like, killing her, strangling her. It's, it's like the most amazing move of all time. Yeah, for, for a large man, it is a remarkable display of agility. And kills her in record time. <laughs> like, it takes no time at all to choke this woman to death. And he's able to do this because everyone else is in the water trying to, like, get the boat unstuck from whatever the fuck it's stuck to. Um, yeah, this this this, uh, this entire sequence is like if you look away for a second, it's really disorientating. I went for a pee. <laughs> I went for a pee when we were watching this match, and I came back, and uh, she was already dead, and he was back in control of the gun, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> It's too good. Yeah, and he came back and he was like, what's happened here? And I was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I kind of, I feel like Denise is a kind of woefully underwritten character, but I still feel like uh, the build-up to her death and her subsequent death should not fit in the duration of a pee. <laughs> it was, it's, yeah, it's pretty frantic. <laughs> 
Yeah. In fact, the way that the next thing unfolds, uh, I just I'm, I, I think it's best just to like look at it as a, just as a related chain of events because I was just few like see like when I started taking notes on this, they were like really tidy and stuff and kind of like very careful and very like quite wordy and stuff and as you, as i got to page four which was at this point um they turn into like the feverish scribbles of a madman because i was just trying to keep track <laughs> of everything that's that's happening in here so my understanding of the timeline of events and this all unfolds in a, like around about 30 or 40 seconds so you got danny in the water and the snake tries to drag him underwater yeah, yeah, yeah. Terry Jennifer Lopez uh, gets control of a gun and uh, shoots a uh, shoots the snake multiple times. While this is going on, Paul gets a hold of a blade which had previously been held by the now dead Denise, uses it to free himself. Right, covertly doesn't make it immediately obvious. Uh, Paul revives, um, <laughs> but is stabbed in the back of the neck with a tranquilizer by a rejuvenated Stephen, who we haven't seen in like forty minutes. While all this is going on, <laughs> and then he's knocked into the water by Danny. But while all of that is going on, Westridge has scaled a waterfall and has oh, been guys, pursued by the snake. This is the most... I was wrong before. This is the most epic kill. <laughs> um, because, yes, he jumps from the waterfall and is caught in midair by the snake <laughs> and rolled up. See the- also, maybe one of the worst CGI moments, but... <laughs> They couldn't do that part with the animatronic. <laughs> no, I guess so. I, I also, I am, I am s- uh, so happy to just let the ropey CGI slide on the fact that that kill was so creative. I love how it will go from one frame to the next. It's the animatronic, and now it's the CGI version. And yeah. It's just like so jarring. <laughs> <laughs> See the the image of the snake's head coming through the waterfall at him. I think that's, a, oh, I think yes. that's a great image. That's epic. So, at this point, I mean, Paul, like, they've gotten rid of Paul. Obviously, we've also lost Westridge. Paul's been knocked into the water by Danny, also been subdued by a tranquilizer. Um, it's, I think, extremely irresponsible to not do a Zombieland double tap at this point and make sure that he's dead. Just reverse, yeah. reverse your bolt into him. Just chop him up. Where this heads for kind of, it's, because we're hurt, kind of heading towards the the kind of the end of this thing, or the sort of kind of the kind of final hunt and chase thing. It kind of happens in what appears to be this kind of, industrial storage unit in the middle of the Amazon. <laughs> yes, there there is one. <laughs> that that we like kind of learned that it was Voight had something to do with this place at some point. Of course he does. Yeah, 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 yeah of yeah. course he does. Yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting that the Amazonian industrial storage unit is there by accident. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love yes that it is built so far and so deep into the jungle. <laughs> What is its purpose? Simple. Do we, do we find out the purpose? It seems to be some kind of. Is it like an oil refinery or? They had to build that so that that part they could probably film in like a studio. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. the interiors <laughs> for that part. <laughs> yeah, that, that's its purpose. <laughs> the 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 two days they could not spend in the jungle. I think making this movie would have been a fucking blast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, regardless of the, the purpose of the, the, the place, uh, it's essentially the snake's house. <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> they've made a terrible tactical blunder. But wait, at this point, we think um, we think that Void's dead and we think that the anaconda's dead. That's true. Yeah, because the kind of the, the which is well, I think b- b- both both reasonable reasonable kind of assumptions when we say all the, the anaconda though I think really was 
Isn't it like I thought they were trying to say this is like another anaconda that's uh, yeah, even they bigger, are. right? It looks it looks very different. It's uh, much it's much darker, um, and it's got kind of red accents on its face, kind of like Jason. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Voorhees. Yeah, and behaves. Yes, this is this is anaconda Voorhees edition, <laughs> and behaves very similarly um, because it does turn into a, a kind of stalk and slash. <laughs> yeah. It, yes. Yeah, I think it does for a little while. Um, but yeah, but yeah I, I do agree. I think that I think that the anaconda that we see getting shot in the head did succumb to those wounds. I think that this is uh, I think that this is like the boss. This is like the boss level anaconda. It's a secondary snake. Yeah. But first, Mister Voigt comes back, of course, out of nowhere again. As and to imagine and that ties he, them up. Yeah. <laughs> to and imagine that blood all over them. <laughs> that is conservatively the blood of eleven monkeys. Um, we- <laughs> they they drench them in monkey blood. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and in case you didn't realise, I get what he was doing. He goes, "This is monkey blood." And you're just like, right, okay, we got it. We saw you draining the monkey. <laughs> like, oh, draining the monkey sounds bad. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I don't know which is more ridiculous, to think that he would be dead or that there wouldn't be a secondary reptile. I don't know, but joke's on him because when the snake eats Voight... Uh, Wait, they do they do a shot from inside the snake. The yeah. camera's inside the snake. Yeah, they do gullet cam. I, <laughs> and that is fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I can't let uh, Void's death pass without mentioning that because I thought it was fucking hilarious. Well, he has, a, he has a multiple, uh, his death has kind multiple of multiple deaths. kind of paths to it. And uh, <laughs> every one of them is amazing. I would love a wriggle around in that fake gullet. Um, but what he, he you think oh god he's trapped it he's trapped it he's got it he's caught it in a net and then his attempts to catch the snake are so inept that it is free from the net in seconds and he is ensnared and gets to hear his own bones crack <laughs> as is what his blood vessels explode <laughs> yes the, like the sweet embrace of a lover I don't oh. remember the quote it's like, <laughs> you know it's like being in your lover's arms yeah. I was going to say like, yeah like based on what we know about him and the speeches that he's given he's probably quite into it oh. <laughs> well but um, really guys the best moment might oh. be when the snake vomits Voight out onto JLo and he <laughs> winks at her uh, <laughs> that's fucking amazing <laughs> I love the fact that even in death, he gets in one more leer. Oh, my God. Leading his way into the afterlife. They had to play out that thing we learned in the opening scroll. Yep. That they will regurgitate and kill and eat again. Yeah. So I I think that he's actually still alive at that point. He hasn't been killed yet. Yeah. yeah, they, they They literally see that death in the first second of the film. Spoilers. Yeah, we also see, we also see the moment. Where sort of, it's already kind of been hinted at as well when the snake vomits that monkey into that guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, my favourite single moment in the film. That it's 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 one of mine. I, I it's it would be remiss not to mention that um, they eventually, obviously, um, they blow up the kind of storage space that this standoff had been happening in. And um, yes. J-Lo escapes by kind of like th- throwing herself or kind of being blown from the top of it into the water. In terms of just kind of peak ridiculous moments, I absolutely love it when she is briefly pursued by a flaming snake. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> but then it's it's still not dead so you're right it, it like the snake is a lot like jason or michael like you think he's died like 10 times <laughs> 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 ice cube finally kills it with the axe and delivers the final line, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, even when you see the snake on fire, I love the fact that, like, when Ice Cube eventually gets it, that's after they have one final snake's gonna get you a jump scare when its head bursts through the paneling and then he chops it. There's fire coming out its fucking eyes. It's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> Wait, guys. The most ridiculous thing, I've said this probably ten times now, but <laughs> the ending of this film... I just want to say, like, and it really only dawned on me how insane this, like, vibe is at the end. <laughs> because, we, like, J-Lo, Ice Cube, and Eric Stoltz have, have lived. And they're, like, on the boat, and there's, like, this peaceful music <laughs> playing. <laughs> and, like, all of a sudden, they see the Shiri Shama tribe, like, come out of the mist. And then Ice Cube's like, I'm going to grab the camera. And they all have this, like, feeling of, like, hope. And it's, like, it's like as if to say... All of this hap was worth it. Like everyone dying, <laughs> they finally got to their like goal, and it's like nothing matters anymore. <laughs> it's that's so true. There's like there's like they're there's, like happy and everything's great. <laughs> there's like I love there's that. not a single trace of any of them being haunted by the experience at all. Well, no, but, uh, one first thing I love that Eric Stoltz chooses that moment to just come back. Like, like he's totally fine now. Yeah, like what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds heavy. Glad I was sleeping. Uh, but then, like, I always wonder about these things. Like, they've got to return to like to civilization, mm. and they've got to then tell people where that everyone's dead and the the kind of reasons behind the death. I mean, it's it's all so unbelievable that I feel like they would eventually be charged. <laughs> they would be charged. <laughs> they are especially going to be charged if they go on to make this Shiri Shama documentary, and then they get back and they're like, "Oh, by the way, like the rest of the crew died along the way." <laughs> so you're telling me that a forty foot snake um, ate everyone? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. and, you, and you got no footage of the snake. <laughs> <laughs> but, you ha- but you have my award, and that's just as good. Uh, um, you're right. This 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 film ends unbelievably abruptly, and on a just kind of like absolutely bafflingly tranquil note. Because it's yeah. like because they're all just kind of it's framed like this. Oh, we made it, kind of thing. It's like all your friends are dead. You fucking sociopath. <laughs> And how are you going to make it back after you make this documentary? <laughs> yeah, and if there's two giant snakes, there might well be there's more. There's just so many questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know if any of them are answered in Anaconda 2 or not. I haven't seen it. Well, that's what I was going to come on to talk about. Now, Jill, have you seen any of the sequels? Man, I don't remember. I feel like I must have watched part two, but I definitely don't remember it well. I'm looking it up right uh, now. Part two, uh, Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Um, wow, okay. it's, it's bloody awful back when I had the website what a great title yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, we reviewed it back on the, in the old days when I had the website and it is god awful part 3 Anaconda Offspring um, brings David Hasselhoff into the mix so you know it's good uh, holy shit how did I not know there were this many part 4 Anaconda's Trail of Blood uh, it ca- says it's a TV movie okay yeah <laughs> So does Offspring. <laughs> well, David Hasselhoff said it. Of course, it's a TV movie. And it was Anaconda Five: American Wedding. I'm def. I'm definitely excited to watch um, Lake Placid vs. Anaconda, though. 
Wait, were these like um, sci-fi? Yeah, I think there was a, a, some sci-fi slash asylum involvement, perhaps, in the crossover film. Would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very on brand for them. But yeah. what's this? Um, I see there's a movie. Oh, it's a documentary called Anaconda from 1954. <laughs> Maybe that documentary is what inspired the documentary within Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the documentary of the sh- the, the shimmy shadow. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> God, Anaconda's uh, so good. Uh, I, I, actually, yeah, I would love it if that was just a fictionalized, a fictionalized retelling of the making of the 1954 documentary. <laughs> I um, there actually should be a sequel that comes right off the end of this one, where we see them making this, yeah, the Shiri Shama documentary, no. <laughs> and everything goes. Even worse for them from that point on. <laughs> Another thing I would like to say, no, we didn't we didn't stay after the credits. Um, no. Now, of, in films of this type, there tends to be a stinger that sets up the, the sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of Lake Placid, you see all the little um, baby alligators all swimming up to Betty White. Mm-hmm. Is there something like that in this? Because I know they touch on earlier, she's... Um, Ice Cube, I think, or J Lo says something about there's loads of there's like loads of snakes up there. There's no stinger like that that could set up a future sequel. I don't remember them doing that. Um, they might have said something before they see the Shama that was kind of. <laughs> I don't yeah, like, know. We maybe should have stomped on all it's, those eggs. It's some. Uh, it's it's very off-brand for monster movies and, and things like this from around this time to not like expressly set up a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's not. It's an interesting thing to not do. I think. Jill, I don't think that. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that we all had a really good time with this one. I obviously was watching it for the first time. I thought that this was an absolute fucking riot. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I am so glad to introduce you to such a ridiculous movie. <laughs> I watch it about once every six months. <laughs> oh my god, I watch it a lot. And I was at a film festival this weekend, and last night someone brought up Anaconda, and I'm like, oh my god, that's what I should have chosen for this podcast tomorrow. Oh, is that what did and it? Yeah, yes. Yeah, that was, uh, the, that was the swinger. It's just such a great one. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, I- it, it's, it's never... Never not entertaining, and it doesn't fuck about. Like I would say that Paul Saron is on that boat within ten minutes. Oh yeah, like they like immediately like there's a huge storm and they run into him. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up the like writer and director of this, and the director he made a lot of stuff leading up to this, but I'm wondering if this had a problem with his, <laughs> if this affected his career poorly <laughs> because yeah. oh really he didn't really he didn't really direct anything after this for like over ten years, but leading up to this. It was like yeah, he did the specialist with Sylvester Stallone a lot and Sharon of Stone. Action and thriller type stuff, but um, so there's three writers accredited on this thing, <laughs> and it, it, two of them are like a team clearly because I see they both are credited for like stuff like Top Gun and Turner and Hooch and Dick Tracy, all these random bigger action movies. Fuck. And then then some guy named Jack Epps who like maybe this was his idea. Actually, he, wait, is he on these, this one also? I'm so confused who these people are. This Jack guy, I have a feeling, was the guy who had the monster idea. Then they brought these bigger guys in. Who knew? Who yeah. knows? But 
Uh, it, some a lot of times when it's three writers, you know what that means. It's like it's gone through like a thousand drafts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think something but, that's that's quite nice is that um, one of the guys that wrote it is called Hans Bauer, who sounds like a villain from a Die Hard film. But he, yes, he does. Uh, all three of them seem to write Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. But um, another film that's jumping out at me in Hans Bauer's filmography that I kind of want to hunt down is. 1999's Komodo. Yes, it does look like it's very similar to Anaconda, right up our alley. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah uh, I am going to absolutely hunt this down immediately. Wait, guys, the the poster or whatever image I'm seeing says from the writer of Anaconda and the special effects creator of Jurassic Park. Ah. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> that fucking cannot miss, by the way. And then with the, the baffling... Is it going to be a Komodo dragon or what? I guess so, but with the baffling tagline, welcome to the bottom of the food chain. Oh. <laughs> that, is, that, is na- that, is, that is not memorable. <laughs> Jill, before we wrap up, is there anything that you are kind of working on or anything you're promoting right now you want to take a sec to talk about? Ah. I would. Um, I've got a short film that's Kind of wrapping up festivals right now called 42 Counts. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I hope to, I plan to put online here in a month or two. And then I have a new short film called One Last Meal that we're in post production now and hope to premiere this summer. So that one will start playing. Yeah. Hopefully all over the place next or this year. Wait, it oh. is this year now. I keep saying next year. <laughs> I forget that it is 2019 yeah. now. Which also features uh, our former guest, Mr. Matt Mercer. Yes, uh, Matt Mercer stars in it. It's about a man on death row and it's his execution day and he has a very disturbing request for his final meal. And it's right. more so about the... Uh, extreme lengths that the warden and captain are willing to go to fulfill these um, requests. It's quite disgusting. And it was written by my friend uh, Eric Stoles. Right. Not Eric Stoltz, who was <laughs> in this movie we just discussed. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I always am laughing about that because people hear his name and think about this actor. But um, Eric Stoltz wrote Late Phases, the werewolf. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a, that's film. a great film. Yeah. We met almost two years ago through a feature that we've been trying to get made forever. But And so in the meantime, we we're just trying to make more stuff. So he had this short he had written a few years ago, and I fell in love with it. But yeah, it's set in a prison, and I didn't think I'd be able to... To find a freaking prison. But you got a full prison. <laughs> I, I found one so quickly that I was like, this is meant to be. We've got to shoot this film. And we got to shoot, yeah, in a real prison that closed about 15 years ago. And it was like the most scary, awesome <laughs> location I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw the photos that you posted on, kind of on social media and stuff. And it, I, I think... Yeah, there was absolutely no way you could have reproduced that, and it looks fucking amazing. It's a a prison that opened in 1836, the Fuck. Missouri State Penitentiary, so it's just beautiful. I mean, that's not very old for you guys over there in huh. Scotland, where you have way older buildings, but that's very old for here. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, beautiful. It looks like a, it's like three buildings that look like a castle. Like It's just amazing for shooting photography or film or anything. Yeah, well, and, and you're hoping, did you say you're hoping to have that ready for the summer? Yes, we hope to finish it soon, but you know the game, we've got to start submitting a few months before, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. this summer is the plan. Okay, keep one eye on Fright Fest for that one, hopefully. <laughs> yes, 
I hope so. Yeah, that'd be cool. Jill, where can people keep up with you? Social media, all that stuff. Uh, my website is sixtape.com with two X's. And you can find me at Jill6 on all of the places. Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. This has been awesome. Jill, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's um, been a lot of fun. I had an absolute blast. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a hoot. I love these kind of big, daft, uh, overly-sized creature films. They make me so happy. So yeah, thank we, you. we've done a few of them now, so it's always nice to have another one. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and a massive thanks to Jill for coming on and doing that. And if you haven't seen it, I would urge you to seek it out, because it is great fun, and worth it entirely for John Voight's performance, and for a man getting hit in the face with a dead monkey. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, how many of these we've got now. If, if we can kind of start developing a subset of uh, episodes on uh, kind of like kind of monster and creature things. Deep Rising is jumping off the page at me. Leviathan and Leviathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just off the top of my head. I would say so. Yeah, but these are always fun. Yeah, and this is super fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. If you haven't seen it, get it watched. It's available to buy. Yeah, it's quite hard to find actually. Yeah, surprisingly, um, which is so. surprising considering the kind of the people that were in it. I was under the impression it was on Now TV because the last time I watched it, which was actually not that long ago, <laughs> it was on Now TV. Ah, you reckon it's not there anymore though? It's definitely not. Ah, that's unfortunate. But no, uh, yeah, but it is accessible. It is uh, accessible. You can get it. I'm sure you could probably pick it up for about one pence on Amazon. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. Uh. But no, it's a lot of fun, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Joe Gavargazian joining us with that one. Yeah. And I guess we're done for another one, but we will, of course, be back this Monday with another mini-sode and uh, all of the various arms and legs that one of those now entails. <laughs> yeah, and we might even have another segment to add pretty soon to that. Yeah, we've been uh, chipping away on something uh, that might be that may be worming its way in there in the next little while. Yeah, if you didn't notice, we dropped the podcast recommendations because we were forcing ourselves to just listen to too many podcasts. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like, I like, am only one man. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm like, fucking hell, I've got like 400 podcasts saved and I can't listen to any of them. Uh, but I was like, uh, right, maybe we should try to fill the gap with something small coming in right off the back of Mitch's pitches. Yeah, it'll hopefully be ready for Monday, but keep watching the skies on that one anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what we will definitely have in the Minnesota Monday, of course, is the, all the usual stuff. We will be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be talking about my progress through the Shockwaves 100. And as I just mentioned, the mighty Mitch's pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hashtag who is Ron Mintz. Who is Ron Mintz. Um, but please, please uh, keep your uh, comments and messages coming. Uh, Mitch, mm -hmm. where can people do that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. There are a number of ways people can get in touch. Facebook and Instagram at Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can also email longer thoughts to stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. Yeah. I uh, can't get moved for tumbleweed in the email. <laughs> It's just, it's like wading through dust. Yep. Just like, it's just impacted dust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andy. Yeah. Obviously, mm. people are listening. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, yeah some people are listening. Mm. They are listening in one of some platforms. They are listening on several yeah. platforms. Uh, there may be another one in existence they don't know about that suits them better. Yeah, well, I can tell you now that um, the key players really much that people want to be paying attention to are Spotify, mm -hmm. Stitcher, iTunes, Acast, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and 
our home, the Heroes Podbean. Yeah. Spoil it for choice. Yeah, and whatever you are listening, just take a wee minute to like us or share us or drop us a wee review if you're feeling particularly uh, generous. Yeah, rate, review and subscribe. Yep, yep, the most succinct approach. <laughs> I'm just going to start <laughs> shouting that. Yeah, yeah, but do that, definitely do that. So we'll be back Monday. Join us then if you can. And in the words of Mr. Paul Cerrone, Buenas noches, beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, sweetheart. Good night. Goodbye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.